You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Morning, everyone. Doing good? I, uh, I know, just looking out here, I appreciate you folks and just appreciate the time being together. Um, Part of me would like to, I know this would be difficult to have you all just move closer in, but I'm going to respect that. I get that. (laughs) Well, um, today we're going to begin a series. Uh, Myself and the other elders are going to go through uh, a series in the book of Ephesians. So if you want, you can go ahead and open up your Bible on your app, whatever. And of course, the words will be up on the screens as well. But we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, a letter that was written long ago from Paul to a church in Ephesus. At one time, this particular place was about 500,000 people way back in the day until it was eventually wiped out through in history. And it's a place that's located, would lo- be located in um, Turkey, near the Mediterranean Sea. It's not much more than just rubble right now as far as, and they're still doing uh, archaeological digs and excavation, things of that nature there now. But at one time it was a thriving city And it had a lot of commerce going back and forth through the city. It had uh, a lot of things going on within the government at the time Paul came there, the Roman government at that time. And he went there and he planted a church. And a lot of things were going on in this community, including a lot of ungodliness The Temple of Diana, you may have heard of before. One of the great wonders of the world was there. It was a a pagan god that many of the people in that city worshipped. But he went there in one of his missionary journeys and established this church, developed relationships, hung out there with these people. You can read a lot about this in Acts chapter 19 and 20. And then when it came time, eventually, as he continued in his journeys, and then he finally went to Rome as a prisoner, as he appealed his situation uh, of being uh, thrown in in prison, he was a Roman citizen, he went to Rome, and so there he wrote this letter to this church. Now, just a little time, uh, help us get a little perspective of time, about the year AD 50 was when he was probably first in Ephesus. Then by year 60 or AD 60, 62, he was in Rome as a prisoner under house arrest, and he wrote this particular letter to to this church in Ephesus. Now, it was not only for them, but it was meant to be uh, seen by other churches as well. A lot of his letters were that way. It was originally sent to one particular church, as we see in Colossians and some of the other uh, books in the New Testament. But then, of course, it was read with others. And in this particular 
letter that he wrote, we see a lot of his, like many of them, his connection with the people and his desire for the people that he was writing to, especially in reference to their relationship with God and who they were. Now, going forward a little bit beyond this letter coming to them and reading them, unfortunately, we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and about the first several verses, that Jesus, through John, writing Revelation, wrote to this church or declared to this church by about another 30 years later, which would have been around A.D. 90, that unfortunately the church at Ephesus had become very weak, had become almost non-existent over time, at least spiritually. And he said that he had one thing against them. And what he had against them was that they had lost their first love. They had forgotten to really love Jesus and to love him in such a way as to live a life out. And so these words were sent to these folks. I say this with you, to you because this is an example where churches go up and down, and sometimes, unfortunately, they go down in a very un, unfortunate, bad way, I guess, if you want to call it that. But there's still hope. Yeah. There's still hope. And so as we're going through the book of Ephesians, it was decided, I think Joe was one of them, a couple of the other elders had said, let's go through this. This would be a good letter to go through to help us in this time. As we all know, we're in a time of transition. We're in a time of, of change. And change isn't always bad, though many of us don't like it very much. Many of us are pretty much set in our ways, and I don't like that. But it's okay. And my prayer, my hope is that now is a good time for us to come together and grow through this. Grow through our faith. Grow through our involvement. Grow through what God is calling each of us to be a part of. In fact, I've heard and seen many churches when the lead person, so to speak, has resigned or has gone on, the church steps up. The church, as a group, collectively, for lack of a better term, fill in the gaps and say, we can do this. We can keep going on with the power of God. Because it's not about any one person anyway. It's about Him, and He's in charge of all of us. He's working through all of us individually. We, we step up and we realize, well, I can do this. I've got this gift in this. We become more in tune with who we are in him and then make that contribution through our, through our time and through our volunteering and through our doing various things. And I hope and I pray that we will see that as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for even greater things. Even maybe whether it be a few or whether it be many, we see through the scriptures, God has used just a handful of people. He's used a large group of people. And they've all been used for his glory. So please, let's not look at this. Let's not feel this is a, a bad time or even a time where we might think, is there any hope? Of course there's hope. As long as there's God, there's hope. And he's all he is, always is. 
And he's always doing his thing, absolutely. And so I want us, as we go through the series, as we continue to move forward, as we're seeking his wisdom, as we're praying for his will to be worked in our church, our lives, in this community and beyond, let us say to him, I'm ready. Use me, God. Maybe take me out of my comfort zone. Maybe lead me to doing something I may not have done before. I'm afraid of a little bit, but I'll step up and I'll give it a try. I'll, I'll do my part and do it gloriously, gladly because of him. Because in our worship, which is here often, but our worship is also how we live our lives out for him and for his glory. And so I want us to be encouraged to do that as we move forward. And yes, pray for the leadership that is here, the elders, others, ministry leaders, all those who are taking a lead in other areas. Pray for them, support them, encourage them. Get to know them as they want to. I want to get to know you. I like the term shepherd, as you've heard me say before. A shepherd shepherding the flock. And that needs time and it needs relationship building and understanding and helping one another through and rejoicing with one another. And so, yes, there is hope and there will be hope as we continue following following God and listening and learning and being blessed by his son and what he has done for us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to speak next week as well. So this is kind of a part one and part two. The identity. Now, a lot of people look at these verses in chapter 1 and, and, and they see a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways you can go with the emphasis and what you want to talk about. But as I looked at these verses and the verses we'll look at in chapter 2 next week is that there is this idea of identity and who we are. Now, real quick, identity is a big deal whether we realize it or not, especially in our culture today. In fact, there was an article written I heard about back in Oh, 2015 in the New York Times. So now it's the, it's the generation or, or the period of time where we're becoming obsessed with our identity. We're obsessed with who we are. And a lot of that is very self-centered because people look to themselves and say, I am this based on me and what I want. And it's all about me. And a lot of people say, this is who I am, and I don't care what anyone else says about it, I want to be this. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals and achieving things, but be careful that you don't make that an idol for yourself, as many people have. So many folks will look, and in our current world today, they're looking for a sense of identity, they base it on their achievements. They base it on the accolades they get from others. They base it on who knows what, but it's a lot of it is self-focused. 
where Jesus gives us an identity, of course, based on, on God. Based on our connection with Him and His relationship with us. And so as we look at these words this morning, I want us to see these words carefully and see how they are saying, this is who you are. Because again, we're big on who we are. And that's okay. But what's it based on? Is it solely based on your achievement? I, I make this money, I do this, I have, I have this kind of lifestyle, therefore I am great and wonderful. People tell me that. I'm not saying that by myself. That's what we, we look for. And we crave that. And we try to set up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to run after this kind of lifestyle, I'm going to be this kind of person so that I can continue to maintain the identity I have. Versus saying, no, it's not based on that. It's based on something much deeper, especially those of us who are believers those who are followers of Christ. And so let's look at some of these words. If you look at this section, just a little background information, chapter verses 1 through about verse 14. If you put it in, if you saw it in the Greek, it would be one run-on sentence. You're familiar with that, a run-on sentence. Just keeps going and going, not much punctuation whatsoever. Just keep saying. And then the next verses, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, it's another run-on sentence, if you will. It's the English translation that puts the punctuation in here. The point is, Paul is really wanting to get it out there, what he's trying to say. And we see from this first part in particular, we see that he is emphasizing the idea of our identity and who we are in Christ. Who we are is not just a, a thumbprint or fingerprints. Who we are is not what's in our wallet and on the, our driver's license or a passport. Who we are is not even our DNA, which is the biological makeup of who we are. Our identity is not just how we look or what kind of clothes we wear or how smart we are. Our real identity is where we are and how we're connected with Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to say here in that and many other things as we look at these words. And may we be encouraged by that. As we, as a group of folks, coming together, moving forward, going through transition, get this reality and be encouraged by it. So we see in the first verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That clarifies right there who Paul is in connection with Jesus. Apostle. He's the one that had seen Jesus. He's the one that was sent by Jesus to go into the world and, and share the gospel with others. Keep in mind, Paul was a diehard Jude, Jew, and when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, things changed. His whole world changed. He went from persecuting Christians to loving Christians and loving God, loving Jesus in a much deeper way. And so he sees himself primarily as a person who's of Jesus sent by Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints. Real quick sidebar here. All of us are saints. You don't have to die and, and have someone declare you a saint. You are all saints. We see this many times in Scripture. We haven't done so already. 
So if we went around saying to one another, Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so, we'd be fine. Because that's what it says. All of us are saints. Now this is specifically to those who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Another thing that we can look at these verses, especially in the first part of this chapter, is these are spiritual blessings that he's going to single out. You've heard that term before, spiritual blessings. We all want those spiritual blessings. In fact, hopefully we're praying more for those than any other kind of blessing that we might get. Not to take away from, yes, we have needs, we have physical needs and all these kind of things, but how often do we pray about or for the spiritual blessings that go beyond this physical life and our circumstances in this world? It says, blessed be God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, and here it is, in Christ. You realize that those two words, in Christ, are used about 27 times, 27 times in this letter alone. Just real quick, the word in, it's a preposition. The function is that you're in, in something, you're connected to something. Another way to look at it is if you think about Jesus and what he taught about him being the vine and we are the branches, we are connected to him so closely, so intimately, that it's like we're in him, for sure, in Christ. You're a new person in Christ. You're not the same if you have given yourself to him and declared your belief, and you're saying yes. And so that's what he's saying. All these blessings are in Christ. Going on in verse 4, says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, there's one thing we see there that's very important. And we're getting into some territory where there's a lot of doctrinal discussion and disagreement, and I don't want to go too much there because I don't want to lose the overemphasis or lose the main point in what's being talked about, but we do see that he, is, he has chosen us. He has determined. It's a hard concept to get into, this whole idea of free will and predestination, and it, it can be really messy. The way I hope we all can get it is just trust that it is all God's will and he's working it out, Amen. however that all is seen and understood. But he has chosen us. He had desires us. That's something special. How many of you have ever been in a situation when you're, 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 you're part of a team that's, you know what that's like when you were a kid, you divide it up, you be on this team, you on this team, and the lead, someone's a leader and they pick and you're the last one chosen. You feel like, eh, eh no one cares about me. <laughs> he has chosen us. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. He has worked things out at this time in history for you to be where you're at in him. He has chosen us from before the foundation of the world. That's powerful. From before this world was even created, he had this plan for where we're at today in you and what you're doing and so on. That we should be holy. That whole idea of holy means set apart without blame. Before him in love, love's at the core of it. We love him, we love one another. 
Again, here's that word, having predestined us to adoption as sons. We're part of the family. Remember that song, we are family? Remember that song? We're all family in him. Let's realize that. Let's live it out like that. Sometimes we, even in the church, have a certain barrier that, yeah, you're, you're my brother or sister in Christ, but I still want to keep a distance. Now, if you were my physical brother, sister, or mother, or whoever, that's okay. I can be myself. But we're challenged through this and many other verses that we are to have that family connection with those who are believers as a family. We are adopted as sons, as daughters, by Jesus Christ. He made that possible, by the way. Real quick, again, what we're seeing here in these verses, and we'll see as we go through this letter, it, at the heart of what's being taught here is the gospel. It's the good news of what Jesus has done. It's the good news message that's meant not to just be heard and say, oh yeah, that sounds good. It's meant to have an effect and, and, and it's designed to transform us. When we hear these words this morning, I hope we don't say, yeah, I agree with that or that. I've heard those words before. I hope it's, it causes us to, to be transformed in a certain way, maybe more deeply within us as we learn these truths, as we learn these realities, and allow it to have an effect on us in that way, not just say, yeah, I knew that. But may we be reminded even today and into the future what this really means for us, these truths, these realities, these things that are being said, these blessings. According to the good pleasure of His will, it pleases God for all this to be, to be so. It pleases Him. In fact, that's one of the big things we need to have within our hearts is I want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Not so much me, but Him. And if I'm pleasing Him, it's all going to work out. But we often get in the way with ourselves. And that again plays into who we are. I'm who I am. I want to do it my way. I want to do it the way I like it. No, it's about him. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace. That's grace. Grace, that's gospel. It's all made possible, not because of us, but because of what he's done for us. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Think about that. He has allowed us to be acceptable to him. Jesus had made that possible, that we may be acceptable to God. We'll talk more about this later on, but I just want us to continue to remember what the significance of Jesus dying on the cross and going to heaven, etc., is all about. It's not just being saved from our sins so that we won't go to hell, but it's allowing us to have now relationship with him. And that relationship is not just a distant relationship. It is a very close, intimate. We can talk. We can, we can go through struggles. We can go through challenges. We can go through periods of joy. We can have all the things that human beings have and more in that relationship with God, in that relationship with him and being connected to him. Because that's what he originally wanted from the beginning back in the garden. It just wasn't too soon after that. We did, our ancestors said, well, we're not interested. Put a blame. We want to be God. And that's been the battle and the tension throughout history. But we need, it's important for us to remember that he didn't plan it that way. He wanted us to be in that relationship with him. 
Going on verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. We know about that through the cross. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again, it's based on grace. That's why it's possible. That's what makes it work. That's the reason why it's been done because we deserve. We know these things, but we need to be reminded of them as people are part of his kingdom, part of his church. Which he made to abound toward us in wisdom and in prudence. You don't hear that word very often would be prudent. That was something I think one of our presidents said a lot, kind of got kidded by that. But in wisdom, prudence, having made known to us the mystery. And folks, this is a word there's a lot talked about in Scripture as well, and here it's referred to. This idea of it's, it's kind of a mystery, and what I mean by that is not a mystery in the sense we'll never figure it out. It's in a mystery in the sense that it just seems so hard sometimes to comprehend and understand fully. We have to go deeper and understand how this is all done and how, why it's done. And, 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 and that's why so many people in the world today still can't fathom the idea that God would come down, die for people who are bad people. If he's God, he would never allow himself to do that. That's just, just I can't fathom that. That's, but those of us who know and read and believe, makes perfect sense. But some of the details can be mysterious and and hard to understand. And that's okay, but it doesn't take away from the reality of it and the truth of it. The mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It's all based in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In one, all things. The church, the people, everything to do with God, relationship with God, the Bible, all the gathered together in Christ. There's that, that phrase again, those, those two words, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. It covers all territory. This reality, this truth, these things that are being said here about who we are and the spiritual blessing is all, it's in every every dimension, every situation you can never think of or can never be known or ever is known. I would say that pretty much covers it on earth and eternity. That pretty much covers it in those few words. And that's what he's trying to encourage this church and as we read it today, us as well, and to remind us. Going on in verse 11, in him also obtained an inheritance being predestined, there's that word again, that's part of his bigger plan, according to the purpose, there's that word again, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. His own will tells him what to do. That's kind of an, that's a mystery itself. His will instructs how he responds and how he acts and how he does what he does with us, through us, as his followers. It's just how it all works. Yeah, it's a mystery. I don't understand the specifics. But it says it, it teaches it, and Paul's declaring it here. Works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He's glorified. He's lifted up. He's, it's a praise for this all to be able to work out the way he intended it to be, as far as us being his followers and us being part of his, his kingdom and the church and the family and all these kinds of things. It's all a glorifying thing for him. It's a worship for him for this to all work out the way it has. That's awesome. 
The way it all has been put in place and worked out is something that brings him great pleasure. And he himself put it in in play. He started it. And he's going to finish it. In him, you also trust. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. And this is the neat neat little part that's a huge spiritual blessing. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do we appreciate really the Spirit living within us? Do we grasp the reality of that? That we are the temple of the Spirit? That the Spirit works in us, instructs us, helps us in our conscience, in our hearts, in our attitudes, and all these kind of things. Our identity is determined, is set in play by how connected we are and being connected we are to the Spirit and the Spirit working through us. It's a huge, significant thing that we are sealed by the Spirit. That was the thing. He was the one that Jesus prepared his followers to come after him. There's a book in my library called Jesus Continued. And I love that title because the theme of the book is the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you see a movie or see a show and it, it ends at a certain spot and there's more to the story and you, hear the, or you see those words, to be continued. Jesus, and there's a whole message that can be said. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is me continued. He said, I have to go. I have to die so that the Spirit may come and come into us and do His work within us. And today we have that. I hope we understand it. I hope we see it. I hope hope he's real within us. This is a huge spiritual blessing for us and a way that we are identified as being followers of him by the spirit being in us. Going on in verse, looking at these verses, I want to stop a minute because there's another translation I want you to read. The, The message translation of these verses I just read, verses 11 and 12. I like the way it's put here. Eugene Peterson, who wrote this translation uh, years ago, I don't know, I don't think he's still alive, but sometimes it's nice to get to the, look at these paraphrased versions of the Scripture. But notice what it says here in verses 11 and 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Think about that. That speaks to the identity point. Long before we first heard of Jesus and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Your life may have challenges and struggles, but it doesn't take away from the reality that if you're in Christ, it's still a glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and in everyone. I love that. I love the way that's put. That's why I wanted to share it with you. That's a summation in this translation of verses 11 and 12 of what I read previously. Think about it. Wow. Now going on to verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased 
possession, which has to do with us, to the praise of His glory. Therefore I saw, I also, after I have heard of your faith. Now, verse 15, we're starting to get into a prayer. We see, first of all, the blessings 1 through 14. Now we're getting into Paul's prayer for this church, and then for us as well, I believe, as we're reading it, thousands of years later, and it's applicable to us. So imagine that Paul may be praying for us, elevation. And this is directly applied to us. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Do you think Paul would be thankful for us? Hope so. No, God is. No, Jesus is. Be neat if Paul was as well. I would think he probably would be thankful for us. He's very appreciative of us and, his, and Jesus is working in us. God working in us. Therefore also, after I heard of your faith, Lord Jesus Christ, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He made mention of them. He told God, he, he went to God on their behalf. That God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I hope that's what we want. I hope that's what we want. We want to have wisdom. We want to be able to know the will of God through his word and through how he works with us, both individually and collectively. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. This is what he's asking for. He's praying that this would be for these people, and hopefully that's for us as well. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is what he's praying for. He's praying for these things, for us, for those folks at this church, for us today, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly father. There's a lot of neat stuff right here. You could take these verses and go much, much deeper with each one. But please know that each of these things that he's saying here are things that could be said to us and about us. Verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, whatever age, covering the time now or in the future, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him, and this is a key verse here, by the way, especially as it applies to our given situation today. We need to be reminded who's in charge of the church. It's easy to say other people, human beings, are in charge. And in some situations, people have taken great power in that and then been given great authority to do a lot of things that maybe not they may not ought to have. And here it says very profound truth. 
that he gave him, referring to Jesus, to be head, to be the leader, to be in charge, to be the boss, to be whatever, the king of kings, lord of lords, over all things to the church. And what enabled him to have that authority is what he did on the cross. He died. He laid his life down to be able to have that. And it wasn't just that he died. He died as a perfect person. A perfect sinless person. It wasn't just another person who died for the love of other people, which is admirable in and of itself, if need be. He did it because there was no reason whatsoever for him to do that. There was nothing he did wrong. That's, an even, that's another level of love. And that qualified him to be the head of the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All. How much is all? All. I don't know how more clear we can be. That Jesus did all this. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. And the body is the fullness of him. We are the fullness. We are the fulfilling of what he is all about. The church, the people, what we do, who we are. Our identity, both individually and collectively, is based on him. If we are truly followers, believers, living our lives for him and his glory. Do we do this perfectly? Of course not. But that's where the grace comes in. But it doesn't take away from the motive for us to want to be more and more like him. You see, the, again, the motive for us to be people as God wants us to be is not just because I'm going to be this way, I'm not going to do this sin or whatever, I'm going to do it this way so that I can go to heaven. I want to do it because he loves me. That's it. And as a result of that, there's that love relationship we have with him. And then, of course, that, that eternal, eternal existence with him beyond this life. I know these things are very basic and fundamental to you. Some of you have heard these words many times. You read these words, you study, but sometimes we still forget them. And we don't allow these words to have impact on our lives and in, on our hearts and how we live our lives. The message, again, shares these words that I want you to look at, verse 23 in particular. At the center of all this, it says, Christ rules the church. At the center of what's happening right here at Elevation, Christ is the head. Let's remember that. And he always will be the head. Whoever it might be, whatever the situation might be, for the individual who comes to be the teaching pastor. He says, he is the center. He rules. The church, you see, is not peripheral. I love this. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Think about that. 
So many people make the church being on the outskirts of, of society and the, and the world, and, and the world itself is the center. No, this is what really this is talking about. The church is the center, though many people don't accept that or believe that or embrace that. The church is Christ's body. We are the body of Christ. We know that. That's, that's another intimate in Christ kind of teaching in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything, everything with his presence. That's awesome. Do we get it? Do we grab hold of it? And does it change us? And does it make our identity different? May all of us go out here today realizing that who we are as individuals and who we are as a church, our identity is not based purely on us. It's not purely based on our own agendas, our own ways of doing things. Tim Keller, who's an individual you may have heard of and read his works, he passed away actually this year due to pancreatic cancer. An awesome teacher. He coined it this way when it comes to identity and being ident having an identity in Christ. An identity in Christ is not achieved, it's received. It's not based on what we do, it's based on what we have received from Him. It's based on what He has done for us. And will continue to do for us. Praise God for all of this. And may we see it be a, come alive amongst us and in the future. The transition, the change of what's going on should not be a period of dredge, drudgery, but a period of hope and opportunity and looking to see what's next. And give Him the glory and the praise for it all. Let's pray. Father God, we again just praise you. Father, thank you for just being with me. I prayed this morning. I pray that all that has been said has been truly pleasing to you and right, and that we will take it and may it grow and flourish within us. Father, help us to understand who we really are in you. And may that be, may that define us more and more, God. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us in this transition. Father, I pray the blessings that were talked about on all of us here in this room and those who are listening. God, you're awesome. We say it. We give lip service to it. But may it be real within our hearts and may it be real within how we live our lives starting today, starting this afternoon and Monday and the rest of the week. God, may we look forward to what you're going to do. And with great love, great submission, and great passion, surrender ourselves to you fully. We lift ourselves up to you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.